Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn to 1 John 4. That's where we're going to be at this morning. We have been in a series going through 1 John. We are at the top of 1 John 4 this morning, whatever. We are going through verse, uh, we're going verse 1 through 6. Um, and I am really excited to preach this. And I don't want to make our sermon extremely, extremely long, which I can do. Um, and so I'm going to move through it kind of fast because I had so much content that came out of it, right? And so, uh, but we're going to get this thing together. Another thing I just want to tell y'all, quick disclaimer. We've had a team of amazing people from South Carolina um, that came and they've been helping us make some uh, changes and different things in the building. And uh, while they were here, they discovered that we had some pipes that were clogged. Um, and so we've been working those pipes out. And that is that sweet smelling aroma that you kind of catch in here or whatever. I really appreciate that everybody's just going to act regular like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Right. But like it's a remix of like cleaners and, and mop and glow and, 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 you know, wall air fresheners and all that all mixed together. So I appreciate y'all enduring. Right. For the sake of the gospel. So I just want to get that out of the way. I ain't want the elephant in the room or whatever. Right. So. All right. So listen, we're in 1 John 4. Let me give you a little context what's going on here. Um, John is dealing with, um, there has been a split in the church because there are some heretics that were in the church, right? right? People who were, had um, heretical beliefs and they started, you know, kind of, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. They start getting in the middle of the church or whatever, and they're causing conflict, causing people to doubt, you know what I'm saying, what they actually believe, and they're going against John and the people who were teaching them, the leaders that were set there to serve them. And so what we see is really like this fascinating kind of letter where John is like doing a lot of cleanup. So he's doing a lot of theological cleanup, right? He's doing a lot of posture, like how you walk, how you talk, how you move, Watch out for some of these suckers who are trying to just take you off of your groove, right? Y'all with me so far? So that's what we're in the middle of, all right? So let me read the text. I'm going to read all the way through, and then we're going to start unpacking this thing. So it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are, you are from God and have over... Hold on. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I'm going to go ahead and encourage you that if you have a pad or anything like that, that you get ready to take notes or whatever, because I don't think you want to let this one go. I know I don't want to let this go for my own well-being. Um, and if you're on the Ville app, we have a note section on there or whatever. If you're on your app game, that you can take notes right inside the Ville app, all right? So anyway, first thing. He goes, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And his because is 
Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So when he's talking about spirits, he's talking about what kind of spirit is moving in them, right? Like, is this a godly spirit or is this a, you know what I'm saying? This is, is this an antichrist spirit, right, is what he calls it. So some of us have been in conversations before or whatever, and somebody starts talking like kind of crazy philosophies. I was having a conversation with somebody this week, matter of fact, and they were going all into la-la land with stuff or whatever, right? And I'm enduring the conversation. They're like, you know, I just believe that, you know, your faith is like the intergalactical, you know, like, like Thanos, right? Like, and I'm just like listening to him. I'm like, nah, bro, that's not it, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm a little concerned or whatever. So I was praying while they were talking like, Lord, how do I help this brother find where it's at, right? So he's going through his stuff or whatever, right? So this is what he's saying. My man I'm talking to, he's not moving with a godly spirit because he's not, he's not putting an emphasis on Jesus. God, the creator of the whole universe, is not who he esteems at anything at all. So his knowledge, his wisdom, his posture doesn't come from that. It just comes from kind of a vain imagination, right? So this is what he's saying. We need to test the spirits. We need to test what's working and moving through people because there's a lot of false prophets who have a form of godliness, but... They're not really the real deal. Y'all with me so far on that? This is what's good for me with this text. I felt a little vindication or whatever um, because I'm skeptical these days. I'm going to just keep it real with you, right? You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you feel like, you know, people like act, act like you're kind of disgruntled or whatever and stuff. And I'm like, bro, I don't go running up on everybody because they say they're a preacher. I don't go hang with everybody because they're like, oh, I love Jesus or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I got my 116 shirt, whatever, and all this stuff or whatever. I'm just like, we got to talk first. I don't know if we on the same thing. Past couple of years, we just had some weird political stuff going on. We didn't had all kind of crazy stuff going on in the world. I'm like, well, you used to look like Christian to me, don't look like Christian no more. So we got to have some conversations. But this is really, really good because what John is telling them, like, don't be naive. And just because somebody says they roll with the Lord, you start just taking in everything they say or whatever, right? You just start swallowing everything whole or whatever. They start pouring out on you. He's saying have a little bit of, a little attitude, a little something. You know what I mean? Right? Just because you're a Christian and we want to be kind and that's a part of one of the virtues of being a believer, it doesn't mean we're suckers. Doesn't mean we're gullible. Doesn't mean to be naive, right? So you can be really, really nice, but have a little bit of like, we could, I don't know you yet. What are we talking about? Okay, are we talking about the same Jesus, right? Because the Jesus you're talking about is about consuming people to get all you can get, and mine is about washing feet. We, we got two different Jesuses. Because if we're making disciples, we're making two different kind of disciples. You get where I'm coming from? That's problematic. So he's telling them, you need to test. You need to test and see what's really, really going on here. I identify with this as a, as a parent, and I want to help you put this in context a little bit more. And anybody who's a parent in here or whatever, if you're not a parent, you may not know this or whatever, right? But you'll identify with what I'm going to say still. I remember when I was younger, my mom used to always tell me, she's like, son, I would bring friends over, and she would spot them straight off the bat. She'd be like, yo, baby, I don't like this kid. I don't think you need to be rolling with him. Like, nah, mom, he's good. Henry, that's my guy. He's solid. He's a great kid, mom. Cares about his academic, you know, his education, everything else. A couple months later, I'm calling mom. Hey, hey, mom, I'm down at the jail. I'm with Henry. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, like, that was literally the way life went. And so what my mom was trying to do when she was trying to pull me into church and everything else, she's trying to get me to, like, see, like, 
like she, she knows I'm fighting the world and all the noise and all of this other stuff that is pulling on me. And she's like, son, I want you to make a decision to be, to be set apart, to do something a little bit different. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So she wanted me to draw a line, right? I had no idea what she was talking about. I didn't, I didn't understand that the line she wanted me to draw was good or anything like that. I didn't know how to quantify it like that. I just wanted what I wanted. You understand what I'm saying? And what everybody said was popping and what the thing was to do in the streets and everything else, I jumped head into it. I was worldly, right? This is how the world is moving, mom. You don't understand. But she's like, I'm trying to save you from pain. I'm trying to save you from heartache or whatever. I'm trying to help you to be able to distinguish like she did when she saw my friend Henry. Right off the bat, that's not who you need to be rolling with. You get where I'm coming from? This is what John is doing with them. You need to distinguish. You need to be able to tell the difference. You need to test it. You need to see what's going on here, right? I think all Christians need a little bit of a sharp edge, way sharper than we've had, right? So it's okay to have a little bit of chip on your shoulder if you're trying to discern, right? So the text says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone in the world. And if we look inside of 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says this. I'm going to read this a little. I'm going to go a little bit long with this or whatever because it's got a lot of beautiful stuff. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays any evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now listen to this right here. It says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies, but test. This is now Paul, not John talking. But test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So when we read in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking just like John is talking. He's putting an exclamation point on, Yo, you need to test everything. That's a part of Christian culture. We don't do that these days. We got a cross on the sign in the front with the neon sign. We're like, oh my God, the Christians, let's go run on in or whatever, right? Next thing you know, you're in the middle of a Hillsong documentary talking about your experience. I'm just playing. I'm, that was a bad joke. That was really bad. God helped them. I'm sorry. That was not good. I'm sorry. Anyway, I had to take it, right? But it says test so you can be sober-minded. But this part right here in verse 19, in mean, 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5, right? Verse 19 says, do not quench the spirit before he goes in to say the thing about testing. What that means is this. If you're a believer and you have the Spirit of God inside of you, right? Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you. Holy Spirit is going to be pointing at things that God doesn't like, that aren't consistent, right? They're inconsistent. It could be a lifestyle choice you have. It could be a hidden sin that you have. It could be a thought pattern that you're being confronted with and your pride rises up so you won't hear anybody tell you that you're moving different and you're moving wrong. So when it says don't quench the spirit, he's saying when you feel that thing, don't, like my man Patrick Swayze said, don't put baby in the corner, right? You know, I have to, anyway, y'all never, never mind, anyway. 
don't quiet Holy Spirit. Because as believers, one of the things that we have, one of the things that makes us so filthy rich is that we're able to go before the throne of grace with no condemnation, right? Hebrew says that we're allowed to go before the throne of grace and in front of the throne of grace, we will find mercy and we will find help in our time of need. So we don't even have to get ourselves together and go between, go before the Lord. We don't have to go with a master plan to fix ourselves. We just got to go know the master has a plan, right? And if you're a believer, right, because we're talking about being set apart again or whatever and what it looks like to actually be a believer, then one of your values is actually being teachable, right? When we crave pure things, pure things looks like us being sanctified, which means we actually take joy in being wrong. Not all the time because our flesh is what it is, and I don't like being wrong, but I ultimately, when I stand in line with the word, I know that being wrong, repentance, growth is how sanctification happens. Y'all with me so far? So when we're dealing with false prophets and we're testing it and we're trying to see what's going on with them, there's not a spirit of repentance. If there's not something there that can be told, that, it, that is teachable, that yields to God, that aligns with God's word, because this is the measure they're talking about here. It's not just talking about, do I really like them or whatever, like, you know what I'm saying? It's not talking like, I don't really like how they move or whatever. The car's a little too nice. Or the car's beat up or whatever, and it just means that God is not really blessing. Whatever little stupid qualification, it's not talking about that. It's saying, do they stand up to the measure of the word of God? Is God everything for them, right? Does it look like it? Does it move, walk, talk like what's in the word of God? Y'all with me so far? We're going to keep on moving. Verse 2, he says this. By this you know the spirit of God. And every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now in the world already. So when I read this right here, my first thing was, okay, this is how we test them. We just got to ask them, like, you know, if they repeat out of their mouth that Jesus has come in the flesh, they're from God. Seems a little too simplistic to me, don't you think? So I had to dig a little bit or whatever. So I'm like, it says confess. For me, confess just means to say something, right? To admit something. So I started digging a little bit and getting on my theological thuggery or whatever, right? And so I looked it up and this word confess is, it says, it, it, the Greek is homo legal is the word, right? And so it's composed of two words. It's the word homo and it's the word legal. And so it basically means to say the same thing as. Right. So when it's talking about testing the spirit and how we know. Is it saying the same thing as the word of God? Are they saying the exact same thing as the word of God is essentially what that word is actually saying. Right. And so I'm like, OK, cool. So that sounds like just a statement. So I went and dug a little bit deeper on my theological thuggery. Right. Digging a little bit deeper. And I come up on this thing, it says. That in the statement, in a secular sense, there's a legal connotation to it, right? So it's like when a, when a person agrees with another statement and concedes or confesses something, but it also is that they agree to something, right? So it, it, it's an, it expresses itself, it says, in an act of commitment, promise, and confession. So it's not just a talking, it's a walking. It's not just a word, it's also indeed. 
I confess this, that this word is actually true, Lord over my life, I'm with it, and I actually model it in my life. Y'all with me so far? So when it's saying test it, it's like what they talking like, what they walking like. Y'all with me so far? It's the simplest version of it right there. Piper hits this perfectly. He says, the confession is comprised of two things. He says, content and sincerity. Right content matters. I know we know some theological people who are high-minded. They can be jerks. They can be snobs and everything else or whatever, right? Knowing theology comes with a responsibility to walk in humility and to use what you actually know from a knowledge standpoint to serve people. Not to just crush people in debates or whatever. Not to try to make people look like fools because you know more than them and studied more than them. You wash feet with it. You understand? So right content matters. This confession is content. Is the content right? And then sincerity matters, right? Because sincerity equals right action. It equals practice, right? You ever been in an argument with somebody before and they're apologetic, but they don't change anything that they're doing, right? I hope my wife's not looking at me in here. <laughs> you get where I'm coming from? That's the worst, like, yo, I'm so sorry, whatever. Then they go back and do the exact same thing or whatever, right? So it's like, if there's some sincerity, then we actually see a change. We see that there's evidence of the sincerity in their life, right? So we got to do something. We have to take our own pulse right now, right? We have to take our own pulse in the room, whatever. It's just it's only right, whatever. We digging in the scripture. We got to figure it out, right? What is, where you at? You alive in this thing, right? Are you, are you, are you living alive, whatever? Do you got confession? Do you got lip service? Remember, we believers, so we, we, we can play with this without condemnation. If it hurts, let it hurt the right way, right? Let it produce something good. It can't just be a cultural posture, right? Or like a value that we Dixie dance with to prove how patriotic we are. Can't be that. Can't be cliche phrases we, we sling out to virtue, virtue signal, right? Or, 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 or bring about blessings or ward, up, ward off a bad day or whatever, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's not what it is. It's being set apart. It's like really drawing a serious line of distinction, right? It's, it, 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 it basically asks us, like our, this thing about this confession is like, have we set our flag in the ground on this yet, right? Are we serious about our content and our sincerity in our heart? You understand what I'm saying? Because what he's basically telling them, like, it's like my mom told me, son, you keep playing with them, you're gonna end up in a bad place. You get where I'm coming from? Because she loved me. Not to control me, but to keep me out of jail. You understand what I'm saying? So he puts us in this position here. Because we could just be posturing. We have, to, we have to take our pulse to see what's going on. Maybe we just came up in a Christian family. And Christian stuff is fun, right? There's a lot of good events and camps for us to be a part of and everything else or whatever, and it just becomes easy to do, right? It just becomes cultural to do. It's easy to slide in, do all the Christian things and move and groove, and man, 
Look like you're on your A game, right? Second Timothy 3 says this, it says, but understand this, that in the last day there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient of their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. When I run off that list or whatever, I'm like, man, it sounds like somebody out here in the streets wilding. <laughs> but this right here, you can lay this right over many places in the American church and it'll fit perfectly. Right? As wild as that list sounds. Lovers of money. Lovers of self. Abusive. Arrogant. Ungrateful. Heartless. We've seen some documentaries lately about some church stuff. Treacherous, right? But with an appearance of godliness. I'm just saying, you can get caught up in the cultural river and get swept upstream real quick. We have to take stock, right? We've got to see what's really going on. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern that is what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We see that word testing again in Romans. It keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. I don't hear people saying, you know, I hear people all the time, whatever. I've had people in church be like, man, you know, thank you for talking to me or whatever. Like, we were now never allowed to talk to our pastor. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? How dehumanizing is that? Who'd your pastor think he was? Like, he, he was too, like, you couldn't talk to him? You couldn't share issue you couldn't ever test him seems like somebody left out this testing part or whatever because they want to control something y'all get where i'm coming from says the test says the test it just that's what's in the scripture right i'm i'm the pastor of this church but my role is to be a servant i'm your servant just to be honest with you that's what the scripture actually says but if i wasn't pastoring the church and i'm at another church I'm just telling you, I ain't going to no church. I can't go ask the pastor questions. You run over a scripture crazy. I'm like, homie, I ain't get what you said. I need you to run that back, Jack. What, was, what were you talking about? You know, it's not being malicious. It's what the word of God shows us right here. And then it says right here, he says, he says, transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's that content again. It's, it's, it's that change, it's that heart that is contrite, that is, that is pliable, that God is able to hit with something that hurts a little bit, but we actually take it in and it renews us and it changes us. Y'all with me so far? It's part of the confession, right? Colossians 3.10 says, and we have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This whole renewal thing is about looking at Jesus Christ. It's about looking at God's plan, his mercy and his grace for us, right? It's about looking at his sacrifice for us on the cross, right? His righteousness given to us, our sins and our treachery given to him. 
That is what we renew our mind against. Not against vain imagination, but against that, right? So if the confession lacks that, just to go back to his first point, we're messing with the wrong prophets, right? But you know, you, you, you want to know what the issues have, we have here? First of all, we look at the Bible through a lens that is completely twisted and off from the first place, right? And what I mean by that is this right here. All the disciples that we're reading about, this, this, these, these words that are written in our Bible, a lot of them were killed brutally, right? We, sometimes we read it and we think that they were like chilling like, you know what I'm saying, of like First Baptist of the United States or whatever, like chilling at a mahogany desk, just like chilling. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like being who they were had some kind of status and power in society. They were the hunted. You get where I'm coming from? This work that we read, it cost them their lives. This church, these people they serve, it cost them their lives. Real blood, real bones, real guts, real torture, for real. You understand? So, you know, we see, in a, we see at some point for political purposes and for the kingdom of whatever, king or whatever, we, it gets switched around and Christianity becomes this thing where, like, it's politically expedient. Now we're going to war and we're in the crusades and we got shields with big old crosses in the front. We got the cause of God with us. So we don't really know what it tastes, tastes like to have our well-being, just the practical things in our life. Like, homie, we're not utilizing your business because you're a Christian. We don't know what it is to sneak inside of a cave or whatever and have church. Like many of our brothers and sisters in China and around the world do right now, being slaughtered right now. They read the word with different eyes. You get where I'm coming from? So it's necessary for us to be able to Submit ourselves to God to be sanctified and put in hard places with hard things. Or we'll end up kind of twisted and, and off of it. Y'all with me so far? Everybody awake? Ain't nothing to feel bad about. It's something to feel glad about because God wants to sanctify us. None of us come in here walking on the right foot, right? I'm preaching this because I'm, I need to eat it too, right? Let me read something real quick about being in the wrong space in the wrong place. This is Amos 5, right? This is God talking to the godly folks. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Listen to what he says to God's people, right? This is the word that comes down. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He's sick of them playing church. He's sick of their religious games. He's tired of it, right? Their content's off. 
their sincerity of heart is off. They're doing all the religious motions. He's like, in, in, in another place in Amos, he says, uh, he says, you sit on your white ivory couches and eat your choice meat. And I'm paraphrasing, but he's, he says, while there's blight, slaughter, injustice in the streets. I guess, I think that's a good way to round up that text with it not in front of me. Do you get where I'm coming from? Have we been lullabied to sleep in a Christian Americanized comfort and completely missed it? Would God say this to us right now and be like, I hate all this stuff. Let justice roll down now. We got to let it land on us, right? I don't want this text landing on me, right? We can't go out and get everybody to move and groove, but we in this room or whatever, we can, we can lean in. We can repent. We can grab on this word right here, right? We can do a confession. We could say, Lord, help me out with this right here, right? We can do what Hebrew says and go before the throne of grace and be like, God, I have a feeling. I have a feeling that I might be off pivot with this thing. I, I might have drunk the wrong Kool-Aid over here. But the spirit, don't quench it. God, because it's God's faithfulness still poking you in the heart. That means God like wants to get you on the right foot, right? Don't quench the spirit because you, you're free to come before the throne of grace. I'm going to keep moving and grooving. Y'all good? Yeah. I told you that a lot. I'm, I didn't want to preach a whole ear off or whatever, but that's why I said keep notes or whatever. You can go back and dig through this thing. So he says in Colossians 3.10, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator, right? That new self moves different from the old self. Our new self is being sanctified in a new knowledge different than the world we used to move in, right? So our responsibility, before we go on a witch hunt out here, right? We have a responsibility ourselves to examine our own hearts to see how these components of correct theology, that God's word is Lord for us. It's no, you, you can't be nonchalant about that. There's no room for it. You'll get eaten alive, I'll tell you right now. You can't be nonchalant about it. It has to be sincerity of heart. There's no room to be nonchalant about it. I'm not talking about you working really hard. I'm talking about you confessing all of that before the Lord and allowing God to do a work inside of you, right? First Peter 5, 6 says this. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, in the God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergo undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Remember what I was saying? The context of this word is different than what we experience. So we have to find a way to be able to get it through the lens. That's why God, when the disciple, when Jesus is about to leave and he tells the disciples, go, Jesus, who's going to be the boss? Who's going to be the boss out here, right? They're trying to see who's going to have status. And he says, the one who serves everybody else. Because the serving, the foot washing, the hard part that comes with that is going to be the thing that makes their lens the clearest. It's going to open up the scriptures, the clearest for them, right? So even in a, in a, in a prosperous context, the posture is still foot washing. 
so we don't lose sight. You understand? So he says, resist them, stand firm in the faith, avoiding this enemy that wants to devour us. One first thing he says is humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. No matter what we're going through, God's word reigns supreme. That's that theology, right? It, it's, it's, it's this, God, we, Bible says there's a way that seems right to men, but the end thereof is death. It means when we think we're cute with it and we got all this stuff and we have all these ideas and everything. Shut up, Jay. Shut up. Quiet. You get where I'm coming from? Check yourself before you wreck yourself, brother. Calm down. You, you ain't as smart as you think you are. Verse 4, still in 1 John 4, verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. After he just tells them everything he says, right, about this confession, about know how you'll know the spirit, right? He gives them a status statement. It's really a status statement, right? I don't know if you, I wasn't raised with my father in the house. And so I, it, it was a problem to not have my father speak identity in me, right? That's why I got caught up in so many things. But like now, I talk to my kids. You get where I'm coming from? I tell them stuff, right? I told my son Jules the other day, we were going to school. I was like, bro, you, you own this school. I was like, yo, you own it. And he goes, he goes, what do you mean, dad? Like, I don't own the school. I was like, no, you own it, bro. I was like, yo, God put this school here for you. All the teachers, even the ones you don't like, they're here like they're like an obstacle course to test you. Like, this is your school. This is Jules' school. And he's like, it's my school? It's like, it's your school. I said, you're not supposed to run in there and like run it like that, but like it's meant to like, you know what I'm saying? Like work you out. All the trials, your friends getting on your nerves or whatever, like God, he, they already knew. He had this thing set up for you. It's going to make you stronger. Giving them this sense of identity about who he is, right? So he says, little children, you God's children. That's what he's letting them know. And he says, so he gives them this thing that God is above, but this problem we're talking about, you're above the problem, right? He says, little children, you are, you are from God and have overcome them. So at the same time he's making them small before the Lord, he's making them bigger than anything else in the world. You get where I'm coming from? He's doing that thing to set them apart. You understand? I was disobedient to my mom. I was her child, her little child. She's trying to tell me that noise isn't louder than what God has called you to or what's inside of you. But I didn't believe it. You get where I'm coming from? I had this whole status thing backwards. A lot of us have the status thing backwards. Right? We think God is small. We think he's little God. And we think the world has overcome us. So we walk around so anxious and so perplexed or whatever because we're like, how do we... Man, it's going to be lonely if I don't kind of go with the flow and roll with everybody or like, man, it's going to cost me something if I don't kind of agree with everybody else. 
or maybe I'm going to suffer a little bit if I call people out on their sin or whatever, right? It's despicable what we just saw happen in the past couple of years where like so many Christians sat back and watched the racism that just like rolled down, not just as rolled down, but racism rolling through the church. And a lot of Christians just sat in the pews and just kept quiet with it. And cost us something? Maybe God's small and everybody else is big. Y'all, y'all, y'all with me so far? telling you it hurts, but it'll taste delicious if you get a hold of it, I promise you. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand. Peter's saying the same thing. Be a little child. Humble yourself. Be a little child before the Lord. Don't lean into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. This is what he's telling us, right? Be small to the Lord, but you're a big dog in the streets because of your faith. Not, I'm, we're not talking about fleshly stuff. We're talking because you have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, because a precious sacrifice was made for you, right? Romans 8, 31 says this, right? It says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is our status against, again, right? That's what I'm trying to tell little Jules when you go into school, homie. God is with you. He's already set this up for you. The problems you run into ain't bigger than you. God is bigger than all of this. You understand? God is for us. Who can be against us? That doesn't mean there's not trials. There's not tribulations. It doesn't mean there's not suffering. It may not, doesn't mean that you may not, you know, you, you're going to not get the call to the party sometimes because your values aren't the same as everybody else. Can, can you be set apart? Are you set apart? Are you willing to let God sanctify you into being set apart? Right? I don't, I don't think I'm here. I'm in a process, right? It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. It's all about Jesus. He said, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for for us. The Son of God is interceding for us. That's why we're different, right? It says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? All the ugly, nasty stuff the world has to offer can't compare to what God has done through Jesus for his children. You understand? It doesn't mean that you'll escape death. It just means that death is conquered and it's not the end for you, right? To be absent from the body is to be present for the Lord. It rolls off the lips a lot easier than when you, uh, you know what I'm saying, in front of the sword. But we keep on saying it until keep leaning to the Lord until it gets there. But you get where I'm coming from? Verse 5, I'm going to start trying to bring this on home. It says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. This gives you, this, this begins to now talk in the different pockets. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. The world has a certain kind of talk and a certain kind of conversation. 
it moves and grooves a certain way. Can I give you the exact thing I'm talking about so you'll never be confused ever again? Y'all okay with that? It's 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Hold on to this scripture for dear life because it will sober you. Like ever since I preached it, I'm just in it all the time looking at this scripture because it helps you get on the good foot. Y'all get where I'm coming from? So it says this, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, right? So now he's defining the world. Y'all with me? I'm telling you, whole IQ going to go to a whole nother level if you roll with me on this one, I promise you, right? It's going to hurt too, but you're going to be sober. The desires of the flesh, power, control, self-righteousness, manipulation, right? These things our flesh craves. Things that guide our intentions, right? I'm doing this because I want to be the boss dog. Things that like people may not see, but it's reeking out of our flesh and ordering our steps because of the idol that's there, right? Guiding where we go, where we show up at or whatever, right? When I first started getting into this scripture, I, I go so many fewer spaces, like places or whatever, because I realized that I was showing up at places for all the wrong reasons sometimes. I, I hate to say it. I wish I could tell you I was more mature than this, but when I started, I'm like... I got some brand new sneakers and I'm about to kill these people in these streets. Like, I'm just like, bro, that's prideful. You need to sit down, right? You know, and I'm using something silly, but like it really was a lot more wretched than that because I just kept using this lens and it kept like exposing my heart, right? It's the world. There's the world. I was no longer confused about it. This text made it explicit. Next thing it says, in the desires of the eyes. These are your practical things. Chasing the money, chasing the house, chasing cars, chasing the land, the world, the world's physical goods. There's nothing wrong with a house, nothing wrong with cars, nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with business, nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But when it's your reason for being, when God is now little God and the world is the big world, right? When that thing gets flipped upside down, that's the world. Y'all get where I'm coming from? And then it says, and the desire of, excuse me, and the pride of life. The pride of life is the boast you make when you have the world's goods. Or the lie you posture as if you have them. Or the idolatry you show for those that have them. Right? You ever, like, when, we're, when I was in a classroom or whatever, when I was uh, mentoring or whatever, I used to always have this uh, conversation with kids. You start talking about something or whatever, and you're like, it could be about Drake or somebody or whatever, and you're like, yeah, man, like, nah, nah, I think this person's music better is better or whatever, and they'd be like, but Drake has the money, he got the bag, baby. Like, that trumped everything. And I'd just be like, we're talking about the quality of music, bro. Like, and they'd be like, he got the money, it don't matter. I'm like, it, it does, because we're not, all right, we're not, are we talking about money bags now? Like, what are we, you get where I'm coming from? It's an idolatry, it drives us. It moves like if you, I'm telling you, if you take this home and you start working through this thing, you start, you go to say something, you go to do something, you go to jump in your car to go somewhere, you'll find yourself like, oh God, this is ugly. But it starts working the world up out of you. It's a great, great, you know, scripture to work with. All right, we're going to keep on moving and grooving, right? 
says it's not from the Father, but it's from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John wants them to realize you are not the same. You are different. You are different. You are set apart for something else. And this is exactly what those two different things look like or whatever. You live in a different kind of, you live in this thing called kingdom. And these other people that you're dealing with live in the world. The spirit of antichrist is functioning and working through them. They don't esteem God. He's little God or he's nothing at all to them. For you, he's big God. He's everything. You need to understand that and have reverence for it and make a distinction right? You, 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 you need to put a reverence of like, you can't talk into my, my life. You can't tell me what it actually is because we don't see God the same, right? Let's talk about, I'm not going to talk about this, but it's like, what about like when we start dating people and you have to leave God to go like date them? You get where I'm coming from? I'm telling you, as a pastor, the main thing I see, see all the time, and it's a grievous thing, it really is, is it's a heartbreaking thing for me. I can always spot it sometimes. I can see somebody start dating somebody or whatever, and I'm like, I, I know they're gone. Like, if I can't, like, hey, if they don't care, because they're like, no, he loves me a lot, whatever, he's, you know, this and that, da, 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 you know, whatever. And I'm like, next, I'm like, homie, don't care about God the way you do. Then it's over. You get where I'm coming from? It's over. It could be anything. It could be a house. Oh, got this thing I've always been dreaming. And the next thing, God gets really, really small in it. That's why I have to stay poor in spirit. We're not okay by ourselves, right? I want the money like everybody else. I got 11 kids to put through college and cars to buy or whatever. But I'm like, Lord, I don't want it if it's going to eat me alive. Right? I got eternal promise. We'll just struggle through this thing. You get where I'm coming from? Like, So he says in verse 6, we're going to begin to round it up uh, in this, whatever he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When I first read this or whatever, I thought that he was talking about us, right? Like the group of people there. Um, and he may mean that but it's a couple steps after, right? What he's initially talking about, he's, he's taking things personal, John is, because John is like, he's talking about the collective of disciples, right? Prophets, right? The context is different in this way, whatever, because like we, we by faith believe the word of God and we're looking at, you know, the word that we believe and trust in. John is beating on his chest like, homie, I, I walked with him. I talked with him. Y'all listen to what I'm telling you. It's a whole squad of us. We were there. If they ain't talking like us, then, then off. that's what he's telling them in context. You get where I'm coming from? It's like they're, they're not bringing you the truth. We saw what happened. We tasted what happened. It's in our guts, our whole everything, our whole life. It's completely set apart because of what we went through. That's the statement that John is making, right? He says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's putting put another exclamation mark 
for the little children that he is called to serve and lead by saying, if you see them coming at our throats, right, they, they, they're probably not one of us. Don't fall for it. It's the same thing when Paul was saying, stop falling for these super apostles. Because Paul was scarred up and in and out of jail for the sake of the gospel. But as soon as somebody showed up with a shiny new chariot with some rims on it, everybody was like, oh, my God, you know, you know, they came with the, the new prosperity gospel. And God's going to bless us and do all of this stuff. And Paul was like, no, nah, it's suffering and scars, baby. And they're like, suffering and scars don't sound cool. Any in jail, they're using that against them. You get where I'm coming from? And Paul is doing the same thing as John is trying, doing right now. He's saying, do not fall for it. What Christ has done is glorious, but don't get misled about the implications that come with it. He says we'll be with them in eternity, provide we suffer. That's in the text. Provide we suffer. So if your context is not suffering and it's prosperity and it's ease, then you should strive to be the most ultimate foot washer in that context. When people are difficult, you should never run. You should figure out how to actually love them, be patient with them, take a very, very, very long with them so you could actually taste what this scripture is really about and keep it in context for what it really, really, who it was really talking to. Do you get where I'm coming from? It's not written with westernized eyes. You understand? It's written with the hunted. It's written by people who are hunted down slaughtered in the streets all day long that's who wrote this word right here all right church stand up and let's pray what a mighty god we serve they have me follow lord god God, my flesh is weak. It wants to be light. It wants to be cool. It does not want to be criticized. It does not want to be the odd person out. I want the invite to the party with everybody, that all the cool folks. But God, you've done something and I'm not like everybody else. Not because I'm good but because you have mercy and grace that you've lavished on me. There's a whole room of full of people here that find themselves in this exact spot. Even when we want to sin and act crazy, we can't even do it right no more. Not even good at it. Our conscience gets seared, we feel condemned. You love us, you won't leave us alone. You chastise us for us to grow because we're your children. God, help us to have contrite hearts. Help us to be poor in spirit, but filthy rich in you. Help us to be little children before you, but big in the way we see our status and the gift you've given us through Jesus Christ. You call us a royal priesthood. That's how you see us. And the world won't see us for that. But you do. It's a gift. Nothing we've done. Nothing we've earned. But a gift. Help us to receive that. 
Help us to receive it and be so in awe of it that we go and we proclaim it to other people. When they turn and bite us, mistreat us, help us to be patient and merciful and remember that we all were turning our back on you until you broke us with your mercy and grace. God, I pray for everybody in the room that this word today lands in their heart and you begin to do a work of distinction about what being set apart is, Father Lord. That you begin to do the work of sanctifying the world up out of us. Lord knows I need it. You know I need it, Father. Help us in that, Father. We come before your throne of grace, Father. Because you said we could. And you said you would give us mercy and you would give us help in our time of need. Father, I need you. We need you. This church needs you this morning. We don't want to just have another service. We don't want to just speak it out of our mouth. But you've shown us today that confession means more than just talking. It means that we see it as you see it. And it means that we take action because of it. Not earning it, because you've already done it. But in sincerity and our gratefulness, we seek to love people the way you've loved us. So we thank you for that this morning, Father Lord. I pray that you do a work that's beyond any words that I could say, Father Lord, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, have your way in this room this morning, Father. We praise you. And we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, we are going to um, do worship right now, but also we have communion over here. So um, if you haven't been here before, you can actually wrap around this way or come through the aisle that way. And you can come up anytime during worship um, to take communion. But one of the things I want to just encourage you with, this is what we always say when it comes to communion. The Bible says, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you shouldn't take the table, right? Um, and it's not that we want to be elitist and be like, yo, you can't eat with us and sit at the table with us. We want you at the table with us. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right, and, and you're working through that, or you're trying to figure that out, you can grab me anywhere in this room. I'll be glad to pray with you. If you don't grab me, you can grab Tony Johnson over here. He'll pray with you. Um, and we got a ton of other people around the room or whatever, but we'll pray with you, baptize you, we'll do whatever, right? But like, let us work through it or whatever. But for the children of God that take this table, y'all know why we do this, right? It's because his body was broken for us, right? His blood was shed for us. So when we approach this table, it's not just tradition. It's us taking a moment to have reverence and lift it up really, 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 really big because our flesh is so, so forgetful, right? And all my flesh wants to think about is the game and all that or whatever, right? So, um, but Jesus is king. And this is how we remember that. Another thing, too, we can take this table as a form of even confession about what we even preached about today, as a form of repentance, right? With new eyes as we take the table. Lord, help me be set apart. Help me not fall into the cultural Christianity or whatever and get washed all up in that. But what does it look like to see this in spirit and truth? Like and walk it out, right? Do it in word and deed, all right? So love y'all. Appreciate y'all for bearing with me this morning.